Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Malcolm McNabb, thank you so much for giving me some time this afternoon to sit and chat a little bit. We can My talk. Pleasure, we sir. can talk trumpet, or we can talk fishing, or you know whatever it Let's is. Let's start with might... politics. No, never mind. Oh, and sex, and drugs, <laughs> and rock and roll, and I don't think we'll do any of those. Any of those. You know, no, just, <laughs> no, it doesn't doesn't end up well. I'm trying that's to build way. an audience, you know, and that's uh, it'd probably be a good yeah. thing to to avoid that. Go a little more central. central well, now you, now we could talk politics, but maybe we have to pick another. We country. don't want to do that. No, another country. Can we talk about as the, soon as I can. I'd like to Catalonia <laughs> or. <laughs> Whoop! Take that so, one out. There was a, one at F. F-bomb already. Oh, man. Oh. Well, listen, I, Mike Williams I interviewed yesterday. Who's that? Uh, he was a, a Basie lead player for 31 years. He's, just, oh, he's been out just yeah. a year now. He doesn't know what happened to Polly Cohen? Oh, he talked about him. Yeah, of course. I, I worked with Polly up in the Catskills. Uh, and, you know, then I, when I saw the documentary, I've been to, he's, they were going to set it up for me to see him. Now he's in dementia here oh. someplace. Jim, some guy locally has a college, has a college job, mm. he called me and he said, look, maybe we could go see him. And I don't know if he'd know you or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I was in the Catskills. I, got out, I was stationed at West Point uh, in the band 1964 through 67. I got an early out for where I'd been going up to Laurel's Country Club and playing the show band. And so uh, the time came and was uh, Jack Jones show came to town up in the Catskills. Mm-hmm. So we did the Concord, the Grossingers, and the Laurels, where I was, the Laurels Country mm-hmm. Club. Three, three places, three venues to show. Mm-hmm. Lots of swing and lots of high notes in that book, man. And this guy played the crap out of it. Yeah. Uh, he never missed, he never scratched one note the whole time. But the thing is, he was an imp. He walked around, this little guy that, I can't remember who the singer was on the show, uh, besides Jack Jones, some lady with a, cleavage here and he just walked right up right in here you know (laughs) (laughs) and and hi you know baby you know well i think he might have lost a few jobs but never for playing but it was more like uh his behavior yeah sure (laughs) yeah i think he went with a paul laval thing to south america and got in trouble or whatever Uh but he used to play the jackie gleason show from uh from here yeah yeah so the reason i mentioned mike was um my podcast uh he's going to garner my first explicit rating on this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I told him today, I saw him, I said, look, uh, I'm going to keep all that stuff in because in context, 
it has to be there. Yeah. You know, so well, if, I'm, if, I'm okay with that. I'm no saint. I mean, I go to church once a year if I get paid, but uh, my Easter <laughs> job changed, so I don't have, you can't even do that anymore. Yeah. So. You mentioned West Point. I was there 64 through 67. Well, so. he, was, he was in the band there too, so. Not at that but time, it, no. but it, yeah. Right, it was, I think it was after that. Well, this went on for years. When you go to the reunions, I stopped going, but you know, like you have the, the, the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, and now if I go back, I'm in the 70s. I, no, no, the 60s. I'm in the 60s. I'll be at the table with the oldest guys in the room, so mm -hmm. I don't want to go to the reunion anymore. You know, there's always mm -hmm. that table over there. There's all the old farts, you know. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, I didn't remember him, but I, I got out. Let's say I got out the early out to go up and play the sh in the show band. Three months early, the guy came and picked me up and took me up there in the, for the next the whole summer. I um, I think I made a hundred a week, but never took it. He never gave it to us. And in other words, all the checks bounced. Phil Raskin was the band leader. He'd done the Palace Theater. He was an iron-lipped guy, and he was the leader. And he was pretty straightforward, like mm -hmm. didn't no nonsense. And you know, we're doing shows like I don't know what shows, playing a dance act or something like that. And he's just standing up there. He's not playing. He does play trumpet, but standing next to where the trumpets are. I was having trouble with the parts. You know, all these multi-pages, folding it during the performance. You know, during the performance in the nightclub. He's standing up there. He's watching me, and he's trying to teach me a lesson. He grabs the corner, and pulls the whole damn music off during the show. Open it like a book, he said. Wow. And I never first that time that guy was a little rattled. It was in the middle of the show, and I'm yeah. the trumpet, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it was it was weird because you know we had the band, and and um, uh, payday came, and we got a check, and they always bounced. Uh, we also didn't know there's a Shylock that comes around on payday oh, and collects money from him, you know, and that's what he did. But he took care of us because he took us out to dinner. I don't know what he was putting on, funny money or right. no credit cards, I don't think. But uh, he took the band out all the time. And, so we ate and we drank, but we never got the money. How long did that go on? Probably, maybe I want to think about seven weeks or something like that. And then I went up to Maine to play in this Young Audience Brass Quintet mm -hmm. after that. That was 1967. So I got out in, I think, May. Or, yeah, about May, and I'm thinking, mm -hmm. this guy picked me up, took me up to this Georgia farmhouse and mm -hmm. where all the busboys live, and that's where the band lived, too, you mm -hmm. know, and one, one bathroom at the end of the hall. <laughs> it, and then getting no money. I thought, <laughs> this is weird, but it's something to do, I guess. So <laughs> then I went up to audition in Maine and, uh, for this Music in Maine brass quintet, young mm -hmm. audience group that traveled around the whole state. And I got that job, so I stayed up there a year, and then, then I just went home to mom and dad and say, take care of me. You know, and home, we, home was where again? Uh, Whittier at that time, my folks had moved, yeah, in the Los Angeles area, Southern mm -hmm, California, mm -hmm. yeah. Are you still in L.A.? Yeah, I am. I'm near Pasadena, mm -hmm. Altadena. I've been there for uh, 50 years almost, actually, yeah. um, and maybe looking to go someplace else. Mm -hmm. California's the highest tax state oh. and the highest gas prices, you name it. And if you watch the news, you know it's probably not going to be the place to live the way it is now. And I'm yeah. afraid my grandson's going to get a needle when he's sliding into home, ba home base. Um, oh, yeah, the homeless problem in L.A. It's right awful. now. Yeah. It's it, all over the state. Yeah. And that's okay. We don't, we're on the, we're abutting politics right now, but we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> right. Know? Well, but anyway, it, no. I'll put a long <coughs> beep over that. As far as where I'm located, and that's not where I want to be located anymore, but uh, I'm thinking about that because there's mm -hmm. no more work. Um, all of our kids are elsewhere in four different states and, mm -hmm. and both of us. So there's no reason to really be there. I lost all my family. Everyone's gone. Mm -hmm. So um, I could really go any place. And I'm talking to Mark about, you know, a tax-free state. You know, something mm -hmm. that would be better. Because mm -hmm. I get one check a year that's, that's something. It's residuals, but it's, you know, it's a lot. Sure. And well, for as much well, as you've done, give right? Give you an I mean, idea. 
state taxes this year are $25,000 for California, just for that check. I got to get out of here, but like Mark confirmed, you go someplace else and you actually establish your thing in, in mm -hmm. that state, mm -hmm. you don't have to pay that anymore. And I like that idea. Yeah. I'll go to one of the states, maybe it could be, could be Nevada or <laughs> Texas or something like that. We don't have to stay where we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we, we, could, we could leave and there, because there's really getting to be no, nothing to stay there. There's no work anymore. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's getting, the left coast is getting very ridiculous too. So mm -hmm. I don't know where I'm going to wind up. Maybe it'll be Europe. Maybe it'll be in Hungary where my wife's from or something. Mm -hmm. you know? I know a lot of musicians there and in Ireland and a lot of places I've gone. So mm -hmm. if they hear this, maybe they'll start getting word. They'll be getting ready for me if you see them. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. I have no intentions. I'm too old to start a new career. I really am. You know? Yeah. But, but I, uh, I can't imagine, right? I mean, this, this has been your life. Yeah. You know? I've been playing trumpet for 68 years now. Mm. And rather well. Well, not at first. <laughs> but, you know, there were people there <laughs> for me to help me through yeah. it. And, uh, and that's why I'm doing that, that same thing, because mm -hmm. it's dutiful when you think about, you know, someone was always there for us when, to help us. Yeah. And, and I've got to be there for some other people that are talented that don't quite have enough money, especially. So yeah. I, I do endowed scholarships. That's what I've done with my That's workshop. I've got, this will yeah. be, this, after this year, it'll be six endowed scholarships wow. for trumpet, and named with my teachers mm -hmm. and my heroes. And mm -hmm. So it's, it's uh, James Stamp, Walt Larson, my first teacher. Uh, it's Yuan Racy, it's Mendez mm -hmm. at... Uh, at uh, Young Musicians Foundation, where they helped me when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And Chosen Vale uh, last year is Tom Stevens. I put mm -hmm. 10000 there for a scholarship in his name with the idea that for about at least 10 years, they can put a 500 a year out and the thing will last. The tuition is $2,400 for that, for that uh, Chosen Vale. It's a very high-end... Uh, Elusive, uh, I don't know, elusive, what you, exclusive, yeah, exclusive yeah, place. Yeah. Uh, they wouldn't invite a guy like me to teach there, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's what Tom li loved. He loved that place the most, and Hokan is always there, and, right. the, you know, Stephen Burns. It's a high-end festival, you know, but they're not going to learn anything probably from a studio hack like me. So why, I, why, would, I, why would you say that? Because that's what I am. So, you know, you, you, what do you call it? Master, master of all, no. Master, uh, Something jack of all, all trades, jack, master of none. A, jack, a jackass of all trades <laughs> <laughs> and a master of zero. No, I mean, really, uh, you, know, you, sit, you know, you wear different hats. You play all this commercial music if, sometimes. All the music is not that, not that great. I mean, some is, but very little of it. Mm -hmm. you know, challenging even, you know, not, mm -hmm. not very little is challenging. So uh, it's not exactly anything to be proud of, but it, it, it was uh, income, you know. Set me up. I, so I you know, you, you say that, and I think you're being self-deprecating, but maybe I'm. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there are an awful lot of people out there who who look at you and admire the playing that you've done. And, and it's so special. It feels great, but but you know, I, I can't. I, that's never enough for me. I don't believe it. I really don't yeah. believe it. I mean, I'd go like to Ireland. I, I went to Dublin for this uh, Dublin Brass Week two years in a row. And I, I met all the guys there this time. I mean, the guys I met 30 years ago, now there's new guys. So they come over to the hotel with uh, mm -hmm. like 11 trumpet players at 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Co mate, we're taking you out for the best pint here. Let's the best. And so, you know, <laughs> you're located. You help the other trumpet players help you get the best pint of Guinness. <laughs> Where they keep it, refrigerated, the right temperature and everything. So they took care of me. My wife, of course, stayed home. And, and we, we went and did that. And um, the first trumpets, uh, Englishman. Uh, who graduated from Oxford in chemistry. Really a funny guy. <laughs> He's from London. But the rest of them are all Irish, right? 
And he was sitting, holding court at the, at the table in this pub. My wife's at the <laughs> other end with a romantic novel. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of it, just sort of listening to everything. And yeah. I can hardly understand what they're talking about. But they're talking about stuff. And it is. It's a foreign language, right? <laughs> well, it's almost, yeah. <laughs> and then, so they, uh, you know, so I'm just sitting there sort of half asleep, you know, and listening, uh, listening to it. And then, uh, and it's you, Malcolm. Excuse me? What? <laughs> you, it's you, Malcolm. We've been listening to your sound all these years. And each one of us has been listening to it and trying to model after you. I said, come on, this, no. <laughs> I, I can't believe that. I really can't. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, very little times would they even know who it is, I think, you know, if it's a, if it's a commercial thing. Yeah, you know, you know when, when uh, the credits roll on a movie, I really wish they would put who had been on the, on the sessions yeah, on those. Of, three of them in over 10,000. Uh, uh, 2,000. 10, see? 2,000 movie and TV soundtracks. Wow. And that's when people... Think about that. Actually, in features, I would say it's seventeen or eighteen hundred features wow. uh, movies, but also episode TV would be the rest of it. That's why I say about mm -hmm. over two thousand because mm -hmm. uh, in, people don't know. In the early seventies, there were still these shows: Murder She Wrote, sure. Night Gallery, Hawaii Five O, Streets of San Francisco. Those were TV TV films. That means every week there's an episode, and every week there's a score, mm -hmm. and every week there's a thirty, forty piece orchestra. Mm -hmm. That was all going on there. So, and and then once I got into doing that. There was plenty of work, you know, then, and people don't know what episode TV is now. It's reality well, TV. Not with Netflix anymore, right? No, but not only that, the TV they're producing, the new productions, these shows, they don't need sets, they don't need music, they don't. So there's a whole segment of the industry that's out of work. I'm not alone, you know. It's it's uh, they don't mm -hmm. have any use for that many. Mm -hmm. It's not the priority. Um, so, you know, again, it's just uh, you know we're up against it, but hopefully we end up with something, you know, mm -hmm. and. Um, It'd be nice if we end up with our pension intact, but right. that's right. the problem right now. We're trying to figure it out. Right. Well, you're doing something else special. You host uh, a camp every summer. Is that correct? Yeah, I have a workshop. It's called the Camp McNabb. It's not wholly, but uh, it's absolutely um, partially uh, after stamps routine, mm. really. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of stamp students. Boyd Hood was in the L.A. Philharmonic and a lot mm -hmm. of other places. He was a stamp student and did spend a lot of time with them. I am. There's several other guys that, uh, Clay Jenkins, mm -hmm. uh, uh, two professors, uh, Jim Thompson and, and uh, Clay Jenkins come from Eastman. And you ever have Ronnie come out? Who? Ronnie Rom? Not yet. No, I'd like to. And uh, we haven't gotten to that point. And we, but a lot of times, I mean, I always, each year I tell them when it's going to be. And I talk to Arturo, Wayne, Gary, Chuck Finley, all my friends. And I tell mm -hmm. them when it is, if you're around, pop in. You know, I like that because the, the people, these comeback players, like to hear their stories. So, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden, someone says someone's in the hall that wants to see us. So pretty soon, Gary and Wayne Bergeron come in and <laughs> Wayne Bergeron, oh, my God, they suck the air out of the room. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> and they, so they sit up there and they're waiting for some high notes, you know, and they sit on some stools. and Well, we're going to talk to you guys about, you know, what we did, how we came up and what we do. But I want you to listen to Malcolm because, you know, we, we try to play real soft like he does, too. And they proceed to play whispered. Mm -hmm. It's real soft. They can do that. They do it. They're the two strong guys that really can do all that, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we play soft, too. And see, I'd like to hear people say that more, you know. Play soft first. Well, one of my teachers told me, he said, uh, you're going to win your job by playing loudly, but you're going to keep your job by learning to play softly. <laughs> yeah. And boy, was he right, because when you're in an orchestra situation, and you know this, I'm preaching to the choir on this, but, and to get that response whenever it's called for yeah so that was a valuable lesson for me on that so um 
So how many years have you been doing Camp McNabb? I think it's 10. This yeah. is the 10th year. Yeah, mm -hmm. the first one was six people in my studio at home, mm -hmm. you know. And we did some field trips. We went out to the instrument store, went to um, the horn guys, went to, where else did we go? We had some picnics and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. But we, you know, we were just doing stamp. Like in my, mm -hmm. these six people were all comeback players. We had a guy that owns his own jewelry store up in Toronto. We had a, a, an ex-military lady who's a doctorate in, uh, at, in um, Maryland, you know, mm -hmm. at the hospital mm -hmm. there. And, uh, yeah, and just different, different, just six different people and a guy that's a promoter up in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So those are the guys we got the first place. And Like It probably even was a little older than that, that average mm -hmm. that year. Maybe they were 60 or something, 60 years old, the average, you know. <laughs> But we started with that, and then we were looking for a home, and we went to SC, USC, and then they have the, uh, I think it's the Grammy, Grammy Festival there every mm -hmm. year or something. And then, then also Colburn has something different. Mm -hmm. So we went to the dean's offices and everything, tried to find a home. Then this uh, friend of mine, John Van Houten, the Tupifer, is on the faculty of Azusa Pacific. It's out sort of an, about another 20 minutes or 20 miles from uh, my house east of me. Uh, it's a religious university, and uh, get the whole... The whole music building, big choir room, band mm -hmm. room, plenty of little little rooms where we can have tutorials. Mm -hmm. People go out and give private lessons and stuff. But mm -hmm. the, you know, we mainly just all assemble in the main room. We play a, ta a, a track over the over the uh, loudspeakers, oh, the PA, and uh, and we we do the warm up every day. There's no performance, no tuxedo, no anything. It's just <laughs> like six days. That last Sunday, we just say we warm up together the whole the whole week. And by the end of those six days, it seems like even the guy that never played trumpet before sounded like a trumpet. <laughs> I told you about him, didn't I? Uh, no. That oh, was yeah, another well, conversation right before. It, well, I think it was two years before uh, this year. Was uh, The guy called from up north, and he said, uh, you know, is it really true that, you know, I haven't played the... No, he didn't say. He said, what kind of trumpet should I bring? First of all, I said, well, what kind do you have? I don't have a trumpet. <laughs> you mean you don't have any trumpet? No. Have you ever played the trumpet? No. I don't know. And so we said it's for beginners or, or, and professionals alike. You know, someone was asking, what is for? Is it primary? The focus is for everybody because it's a little toolkit we're giving everyone to right. maintain themselves and, right. and get up the next day and play. That's basically what it doesn't really matter what kind of music you're into, really. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, yeah, we, uh, this guy uh, say, well, we don't know. He says, I'm going to be moving down to Seattle. I said, well, call anyone there. Just get a trumpet. Maybe you can borrow one for now and see what you like, you know. He comes in, and so the first day... Uh, we got we got a piano track, and so we start the thing. We're all going to just play the C, you know, the B flat concert. Da. Okay. Um, someone doesn't know that note. You don't even have to put any vowels down, but someone did, and I had a suspect in mind. So I, I didn't even know where it was. I never who, knew who the guy was yet. Yeah. In the front row, sitting next to the last student of Maurice Andre, who pl teaches at Montreal Conservatory, Thierry Cham from France. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> He's sitting next to this guy, and this guy is holding the trumpet. He's smiling. He's so happy. <laughs> was that you? Is that the first note you ever played? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was really weird. Oh, okay. At the end of six days, he sort of sounded like a trumpet. No kidding. There was nothing to undo, that's for sure. No mm -hmm. detraining, no anything. We just, he just followed everything we said. We show him how to warm up, how to set up, you know, how so to warm down. being brand new to trumpet like that, did you teach him the crippling self-doubt that comes with being a trumpet player, too? I think he sort of picked that up in our <laughs> attitude. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not necessarily fun <laughs> to play the trumpet, uh, always, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's an ordeal. Mm -hmm. It's the coil of tor torture. Now, that came from Frank Beach, Yuan used to tell. I never yeah. met Frank. He had died before. But he was a great trumpet player, and, and he used to refer to it as the coil of torture. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm proposing that they change the ITG to the International Coil of Torture Society. Brilliant. The yeah, ICS. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think they'll go for it. You still enjoy playing? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, I do. I play bagpipes. I play trumpet. I play trombone a little bit. Uh, yeah, but I'm not playing every day. That's the thing. My, mm -hmm. my producer, Gary Grant, who's a marvelous trumpet player, is not as old as me. He's a little bit younger, but he just keeps reminding me, at our age, you must be playing two hours a day to even have a shadow of a chance, you know, to uh, to do as you were or even play, mm -hmm. keep playing. You know, mm -hmm. you have to do it because we're old, mm -hmm. you know. So he's right, but, you know, then again, before I came to this, I didn't, don't think I played for four or five days, you know, mm -hmm. and I haven't played here. I find it ironic that, you know, this this conference is, uh, like myself, I'm going to have to go back and start rebuilding next week. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There comes a time you've got to get ready, be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So it's sure. Uh, yeah, irony for sure. So um, before West Point, mm -hmm. um, well, in Southern California, you grew up in the music system. Yeah, I was born there, in right? Cleveland, came to California very early as an infant, and Went through school, about elementary school. My dad had a trumpet around the house, actually. He'd been in the Army, and he got out for bad ankles and something like that. But a guy had it shipped out that he sold this, uh, like a Sears and Roebuck trumpet from the vintage of the 20s or 30s mm -hmm. or something. The Henry Purcell, it was called. Mm -hmm. And it's just a piece of junk. I still have it. But, you know, I heard him playing it around the house, and mm -hmm. he knew two tunes, only two tunes. And he played them actually pretty considerably well. I never had any lessons or anything. Mm -hmm. He just picked it out. I don't want to set the world on fire. <laughs> I heard him play that. See, I grew up hearing that, and I was thinking by the time they, at elementary school, uh, they, when they brought the instruments over from the junior high, that's the way it used to work. You know, there's none of that anymore. And just to aptitude, people can try instruments and see what they might like, you know. Mm -hmm. That's when I sort of think, hey, that looks fun. We got one of those at home, you know, and I didn't know much more about it than that. But uh, also, uh, I don't want to set the world on fire. <laughs> Corny 30s tunes, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, I started then, you know, and that's when, you know, the junior high teacher came to the elementary school before this guy's got there and he wants to check them out. This high school, the same thing. They had that feeding system, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the money's not there in most places anymore about that. Sadly. Sports, yeah. I mean, now you've mm -hmm. knocked the crap out of some and ruined their knees and you had a few games and now. You put everything into that, and the guy's going to be sick the rest of his life or mm -hmm. limping, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, anyhow, yeah, and then I went on to, uh, I think I went to junior college from high school in PCC in Tournament Roses Band. I was there with Jim Keltner, by the way, name dropper, you know. He mm -hmm. played with the Traveling Wilburys <laughs> and all the rock and roll, George Harrison and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and he was in that band, too. And he actually taught at the music store. You know, or he didn't teach there. He sold drumsticks there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gary Foster yeah. was, was working in that store, too, the great saxophone player. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know at this point that uh, this is what you wanted to do? Mm, I would say that by 14, probably wow. by that time. I had won this PTA scholarship you know, for, for in, the school, in the school district. Mm -hmm. And then it was $100 worth of lessons. It was, it was and I, that's when I... I don't know how I found it. $100. Well, that was like $5. That gets you 15 minutes these days no, with somebody. No, $5. Right? Yeah, this was in those that time. And my mother, I wasn't driving or anything, my mother. So about 14, I went with this guy, Walter Larson, who was born in Pasadena. And uh, they were Danish. He had the Danish back bakery of, uh, of Pasadena. And in every way, he was a role model. He, his, just the way he played and the way he dressed, the way he talked. And I, I just, I, I cried when he said, you've got to leave. And it was the most generous thing he ever did. It's a generous act saying, okay, 
he was teaching me all the Clark solos and all this and the Mendez right. stuff. And by the way, he conducted this uh, youth band in Pasadena, and uh, um, he had, used to have, he'd had Mendez and Leonard B. Smith come to be solos with this band. It was a young band. It was kids that would have been on the streets otherwise. He boys and girls. You know, he yeah. he had the Pasadena Boys Club, and and it was. Uh, they gave concerts in the Civic Auditorium, so it, it was a big deal. They had a bit dance band. They what they played to. Wow. I was never in that thing, but um, then I, he, when I was fourteen, at that point, he put me in the Pasadena Symphony with him, which was a community orchestra at that time. <laughs> now it's a professional orchestra, totally. Sure. But I was fourteen, and I was he la- learned to transpose out of the Ernest Williams book, and so he got me started there, and and that, I became. And sorry, back up, uh, cornet or trumpet? Trumpet. You were on trumpet. Yeah, okay. well, he is, okay. it was Walter Larson's studio of cornet and trumpet actually was was mm-hmm. and but we were doing mostly cornet stuff i mean because mm-hmm. he took he like uh, jimmy maxwell took the streetcar down to long beach and took lessons with clark you know he was there up until he died in 1945 mm-hmm. but you can imagine uh, what that was that's that's where the mendez had the experience when he came up mm-hmm. into the country mm-hmm. his cousin says you know you should check out dr clark or something you should play for him you know actually he was warming up in a room and the story i always heard I think it was from Ralph himself. Uh, he was getting dressed for the concert, putting the white pants on. And mm-hmm. Dr. Clark, he had the one leg in, and he came out right across the hall. He says, "Who are you? What is that? What is that you're playing?" He says, "Well, Mr. Clark, I came to. I want to take lessons with you." He says, "Sounds like I should be taking lessons <laughs> with you, son." That was always the story I heard about. Yeah. But it, I guess it was true. Wow. And we heard everything out of Mendez when he told. I mean, he told us all the stories. You know. But then, of course, 2006, uh, I ended up on stage in the opera Concierto para Mendez. I was chosen to, to, pl- to be the trumpet sound of Mendez in front of the L.A. Chamber Orchestra, and they acted out in one, act, in one hour, one act, um, opera about his life, about the revolution, about Pancho Villa. About Does that still exist? Uh, the problem is this was 2006. We did two matinees. I had no idea there were TV cameras in the There were 10 HD cameras in the music center. And they have a whole thing. And it aired unannounced on PBS locally for mm-hmm. us, and, and then it went away. And I signed a contract. I mean, Dan Savant was a contractor and a trumpet player from Trumpet Family, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, his, his grandfather, Sylvia Savant, was at Fox Studios, actually, years ago. But I let him negotiate because he was good at that sort of thing. So he got me a good, pretty good price for this ordeal. I had mm-hmm. two, a 1 o'clock and a 2.30 um, show and, and it was it's like a truck ran over me. I got it. It was a hard job, <laughs> and I'll show you if you. I can't imagine doing back to back. I mean, one day and the second yeah. day is one thing. It, it was very hard, and yeah. uh, it was the LA Chamber Orchestra right behind me, and four trumpets in there. You know, but I had to play all the the real technical stuff, but also with the media multimedia up on the screen and him playing mm-hmm. a Mexican hat dance, mm-hmm. and then I had to do it later. You know, it's a little bit intimidating. Uh, that was a thrill. I was. I thought, wow, this is incredible. He's my hero, and I'm. And I felt so blessed to, that to be there and be part of it. You know. And um, um, anyway, yeah, it was. It was a great experience. The guy Milt, Milt Oaken was the guy that put this whole thing together, and he came up to me. I didn't know this guy. He came up to me. You know, everyone here is handpicked, including you. I said, well, I'm not even a Mexican. How you, could you pick me out? He said, well, he says, we just needed someone, and I, th- I feel you were the right guy. And he was, he's actually John Denver's agent, and he's also, he started with Peter, Paul, and Maury. Mary. Peter, Peter Paul, Maury. and Maury. Well, that was a whole different that act. Was a different, that was from a different part of town, yeah. <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Maury, yeah. But he was, uh, you know, and he went into that from being a high school choir director, you know, and he, mm-hmm. and then... Then after that all died out, then he was John Denver, and then he was Placido Domingo's uh, artist management. Mm-hmm. And he's got, if you ever heard of Charlie Lane Music publishing mm-hmm. yes, in New York, that's yes. his. Uh, he stepped oh, on okay. that. Plus he just, 
all the resources, he says, call them. They'll take care of you. They'll do anything you want and mm -hmm. maybe promote you or whatever. So mm -hmm. it was a nice connection. Uh, he's, he's died now, but um, he's the one that ran that. I thought, oh, this is really weird. Who is this guy? And then we're up at the founder's circle at the music center, you know, mm -hmm. big names that the, the, the people that donate all the money, mm -hmm. there was his name in gold letters. I thought, oh, okay, that's yeah. who Milt Oaken is. And wow. you see him when the documentaries about John Denver, he's usually in those. Uh, but it was neat. So we, we pre I think it was about two, three weeks of rehearsals and putting that together. And the singers were great. The narrator was great. And uh, Ellie Chambers was great. And I just had to buckle down and, and do these things, you know. There were mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of technical things. And I have it actually, I shouldn't say it on there. I actually have the, the I was ever able to DVR it, you know, and mm -hmm. twice. And unannounced, I just had kept the, the uh, PBS station on and just, you know, got it um, between the two times I got uh, the recording of the whole thing. So I, I snuck around with it. I played at the the ITG in Ohio, I mm -hmm. think. And that time when they encouraged me to do it, I was, I had my friends that were with me, you know, they were had their, they were walking around patrolling, looking for cell phones. Holding. Oh, right, so right. Malcolm doesn't go to prison for something, yeah. you know? Sure. Well, it's, it's like there was a real steel contract there, you know, and I, I got the solo fee, but then Here's another one for seven grand, and they gave me seven grand uh, for this. You can't, you can get one if we, if it does come out, you get one disc. You cannot distribute or display right. it or anything right. like that. It's a standard thing, um, and the words about prosecution and stuff like are there. So not prosecution, prosecution, mm. and uh, you know <laughs> I, I can't both. picture right. myself in a, in a prison band. I really. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think orange would be a great color on you. It would. The stripes wouldn't look good yeah. with my size, though. I think that, unless I was yeah. laying on my side. Right. So, <laughs> but uh, so it does exist. But it's whether or not PBS will eventually release. I don't think they ever will. They, on, well, on it, they they played it back then. This is two thousand six when we did it. So it's been a while. Um, well, what about the production itself? I mean, what could somebody? Like who actually put the charts together and who who did the arrangements? You know that would be wouldn't that be a cool thing? It was thing Lee Holdridge. To... Lee Holdridge did it, and uh, the way they feel about it. Uh, I have a student that I had in 1970, who's now in Riverside at uh, Community College. He's the Windons. He's the head of the music there. Mm -hmm. Was my student Kevin Mays, and he uh, he asked me to do it. He wanted to do it with their opera company there and have me come down and do it, and they wouldn't give it to him. They wouldn't rent it. They wouldn't wow. let him pay anything for it. You couldn't do it. They just don't want to do it, and that's the way it is. Milt Oaken's gone. I don't know if I haven't tried to get to his wife or something, but every one of the Young Musicians Foundation, uh, you know, which I, I'm not that close to anymore, yeah. you know, because some things happened. I was there. I actually gave them about $15,000 in the scholarships mm -hmm. over there uh, for uh, Mendez and Yuan Racy. Mm -hmm. you know, so I know the, the Copeland estate is pretty tight, very, they regulate things. Uh, a lot of hoops to jump through. What is the Copeland? Uh, Aaron Copeland. Oh, Aaron Copeland. Yeah. Well, and you I know, know him. I've been him. I've, I've worked yeah. with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, I just think, it, who wouldn't want to share that music? Uh, not just Copeland, but who wouldn't want to share that that Mendez? Well, that's just it. It's a tragedy. It's a story that's just heartbreaking. I mean, Placido Domingo is the executive, uh, the head of that L.A. opera. Mm -hmm. He's from Spain. He has no idea what this guy is, and they try to tell him, they try to tell him, it's, there's a story there. It's mm -hmm. really heart-wrenching, I mean, what this guy went through, mm -hmm. and then ended up world-famous as maybe the world's greatest trumpet player in the world. And so they, they took him to the mat on it, and, and this production happened. So that was what, and it sort of went away. Like I said, it was unannounced on mm -hmm. PBS, and mm -hmm. I was just able to keep that station on and just get on it, mm -hmm. you know? So I got those, edited them together, and mm -hmm. 
and and have it. So mm -hmm. I, I like to display it. I just showed a little bit of it today to um, what's his name, Lee, the the guy from here, the guy from uh, Salt Lake City, I think. I can't. Oh, anyway, yeah. I, I showed him a little bit of, it, of, of yeah. the thing. I didn't write the whole thing is like 50 minutes long. Mm -hmm. It's a one act, one act, mm -hmm. and some great singers, great musicians. There's the L.A. Chamber Orchestra, mm -hmm. four great trumpet players mm -hmm. too. So uh, it was really, I felt so privileged to be yeah. to be there. You know, yeah. it was wonderful. So, and what an opportunity. I mean, you know, so some people say, well, he's just a guy that sits in front of a mic, and can play a phrase, and take 20 minutes off, and then go back and do the same phrase again. But here's an opportunity where you get. <laughs> you're you're playing the whole tune. No, I'm in I'm in the middle of it. You're yeah, in the middle of it. Yeah. You're in the thick of it. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, of course, there are two different kinds of playing, right? I mean, you, the overdubs and the waiting for the strings yeah. to do a second oh, sure. pass. Oh, no, sure. I'm, I'm on a platform in front of the LA yeah. Chamber Orchestra, and uh, I have to play. I don't play the whole thing, but I'm stall wired. Also, I got I got a B flat and an E flat. Both of them have hard wire on the, the mm -hmm. mics. I have the mics that I picked up from, uh, not did pick up, he, he directed me, Terrence Blanchard is a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. he, he used those kind of, it, it's an extends out in front of the horn. Oh, yeah. Horn. Right. You could even use it with a mute, but it's about a one-inch ribbon element, So oh. and it's out this far, and it's a nice sound. So they had that wired to the to the board and everything. I mm -hmm. uh, had two of those, one on the E-flat, one on the B-flat, and so mm -hmm. uh, my mother was in the front row, and she thinks I'm going to fall off the, I, I, it could have happened. Actually, <laughs> I'm sitting on a stool on a platform in front of front of the orchestra and the opera singers are in front acting out his life including mm -hmm. the uh, the firing squad in the revolution you know that happened wow. you know. well first of all we went to his house i was working with you on racy mm -hmm. he was at mgm with him and so he knew ralph very very well and uh, he set up a time and we all went over uh, to his house on an afternoon and spent the whole day there drinking tequila and mezcal oh it was fantastic <laughs> chuck finley no you on myself chuck finley uh, Al Vizzuti, uh Bill Bing, Bill Spielka, the guy that from New York Brass Conference that made those obscene mm -hmm. pictures, you know, of, of the mouthpiece thing, and uh, a couple other people I can't remember. There's about maybe six or seven trumpet players hanging around, and he was first thing he said when we come in, and I I sort of identify with this because this is where I am now. Mm -hmm. I, I'm alone all day. I have no gigs, anything. He had to stay inside the house because uh, he was he had asthma, really, really mm -hmm. bad. And uh, he was a, had a filtration system. Now, his sons, I don't know if you knew that, identical twin sons were mm -hmm. uh, urologists. They were the top of the whole world of urology wow. and kidney transplants. They did my friend's uh, uh, transplant with his son. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my oldest friend I knew for 50 years, Tommy Johnson, the tubal player. Mm -hmm. So when I got uh, my bladder cancer, that uh, you know, the first thing they did is say, send us the x-rays, we'll check everything too, you know, wow. because they're urologists, you know. But good guys, and they were there. They were all a big part of it. They appreciated it so much. that, And now they're both in Alzheimer's in wheelchairs, identical twins. They both got Alzheimer's, the same thing, and they're in wheelchairs. About two years ago, their birthday was, they were 80, and they wanted to go, me to go to the Jonathan Club and pay, play for them. They asked, they requested me, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, I, I'm doing, going up to San Francisco to do a, a conservative, in the conservatory, I'm doing a master class for Mario Guarneri. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. And I, I said, I don't think I can make it, so... Well, I don't know who we can call. I said, what about Ramon Flores, a great trumpet player? He says, well, we asked him, but, you know, he, he, he couldn't do it. Oh, okay. So I called Ramon just for the elevator. I said, what's happening? He says, hey, they didn't want happy birthday. They want the flight of the bumblebee. 
I said, who the hell's going to get up and play that in front of those guys? <laughs> right. <laughs> they were both great trumpet players themselves. Yeah. They, they would have gone yeah. on, yeah. except he w insisted on them to go to Stanford and become doctors, and wow. they, they did. But they sure could play. Both of them could play very yeah. well. They can even fill in and play all the solos their father did in a concert, like mm -hmm. nine or ten solos. Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, I got to know them very well, and they're, they're still with it, but it's just tragic. I, was, I know the family and everything. Mm -hmm. the, the actual, the grandson, uh, he was in my studio and uh, telling me that there's a feature film in the, in the works right now about very his, nice. his grandfather. Yeah. Well, and uh, uh, Hickman's doing a great job with uh, well, the Institute. Yeah, he got in there and grabbed everything. But over the years, way before that, he ever met him, Ralph had given me all kinds of music and scores, and mm -hmm. he just was generous. And the movie. If you ever were in schools, we had the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica series, mm -hmm. The Trumpet, you mm -hmm. know, and we saw it in, in elementary school. They'd come out with a 16-millimeter projector mm -hmm. and, and a lot of splices and mm -hmm. black and white, you know. Now, those so are you, all on YouTube now. I've seen, I've seen most of those. Those are yeah, terrific. Yeah, well, I have his copy of it. I have mm -hmm. the absolute film that belonged to him. Wow. <laughs> um, I was over there, and Yuan, I talked to Yuan about it. So we were, he said, Ralph, you know, Malcolm's interested in the in the that film you know that that classroom film that you did you know uh, the trumpet you know he says oh i have it you know so he got on a stool and got up in the closet big 16 millimeter reel color sound never been projected wow it's the whole thing and so right away he said take it he just handed it to me take it i can remember doc schitzer doing the same thing with me with some music he was working on pen pencil tape with scotch tape he was working on the the 20 etudes that came out as published later wow <laughs> he came out of uh, this is here take it i said oh okay i'll bring it back the next i went and copied everything and i went and i brought it back the next mm -hmm. boy he mm -hmm. was staying with louis davidson in studio city outside the gate of uh, tadeo where, where we used to record a lot uh, and of course he was from the russian system you know and uh, he was there he was trying out to, to live in california you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh it was overwhelming we have no idea what those people, except my wife went through that communism thing, but also uh, he, to the point he was way up in the Communist Party and of course definitely an important part of it when everything went down, uh, pretty much the military, corrupt military, they got all the money. Somehow yeah. everyone got money, but then it is corruption there. So basically, uh, I know through Fred Mills, he asked for my CDs, he's going to take him to Moscow. I said, well, what for? He says, Andrei Ikov is, is the first Trump in the Bolshevik Theater now. He says he wants to meet you, but he, also, you know, they don't have, they can't live there. It's about $250 U.S. equivalent a week. And, uh, and that's, that's an expensive city. See, it's more expensive than Paris or London now. And there's Mercedes all over, and, you know, and big limousines, and some people made out real good, but the average people, these musicians, the top trumpet player job, mm -hmm. He can't make more than that, and they can't exist on it. They can't buy trumpets. They can't buy mutes. They mm -hmm. can't buy music. So he does this care package. God bless He was a wonderful man, Fred. Because of the Canadian brass, yeah. he met everyone all over the world. Yeah. And he met these, he got these relationships, and they need it. So let's get over there and help them, you know. So he said, give me a bunch of your CDs. I'll send them. And, they, of course, they thanked me, and I got a little video exchange with this guy, and really nice, but realized that, you know, they, you know, it's it's poverty job because it costs so much to live there. Mm. Anyway, that's uh, anyway. Fred was a, a great, great guy. It's mm -hmm. funny because when we had lessons with Doc Schutzer, he came um, to Louis Davidson's son house. Son's uh, he was a filmmaker in Studio City, and uh, at his house, that's where we took lessons with with uh, Doc Schutzer mm -hmm. uh, in in the pool house and in the house. But first time I went, uh, Charlie Davis was there, and then the. Uh, Fred Mills and, and uh, Louise Berenger, his wife at the time, mm -hmm. trumpet players. Then I came in. Mm -hmm. 
And I think Louise told me that as they came into Charlie's lesson, he was playing a big, fat, high G for Doc Schutzer. And Doc Schutzer said, you don't love the music. <laughs> wow. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. So, uh, what, what were lessons with uh, Doc Schutzer like? Well, we couldn't communicate, really, in language. Uh, he spoke Russian and German, but mm-hmm. I didn't speak any one of those. But it didn't need it. Cause so I've it was had, just mimicking? I, the same thing when I studied with John Ware in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, there was nothing except he'd play the page down and then I'd play it. It's like illustration and, co- and copy, call mm-hmm. and response, you know. And so that's who we went through the entire uh, uh, Charlier, the entire Biche book. Mm. I mean, these were long lessons. I did it twice out there. Wow. The second time in the pool house. But, you know, of course, Yuan says, oh, are you going to take a lesson with the? Why don't you play the Tchaikovsky? That would be wrong. That's their national music. I mean, that would be, a, could be an insult in some ways. And so I did it when, when I first, you know, he says, well, play. Play something, you know. No, too difficult. Stop me right away. Wouldn't let me even play the opening. Wow. So... At that point, he heard my, my vibrato, which was not a hand, manual vibrato, but uh, wow, wow, no, wow, 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 no, no. I'm thinking, because I listen, grew up listening to his recordings, he yeah. used much manual vibrato, yep. you know, but yep. this was not manu- it's my, it wasn't a manual vibrato, it was more like a throat vibrato, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't like that. So the next half hour, I think I did, da, 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 no vibrato, no vibrato. <laughs> all the way through, all the way up, you know, <laughs> half notes and whole notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what it was. And then the, th- uh, the next thing I played was um, what Fred Mills been to the brass conference in um, the ITG in Holland, I think it was. And that's when the, the uh, Condoli brothers played and the Finley brothers were both there. But also, Doc Schuster did the concerto, the Shostakovich concerto, mm-hmm. featuring the trumpet instead of the piano. And he was out front, you know, and he did his own version that has more of the lines for the trumpet, right. you know. Right. So uh, you're not supposed to record. They're looking around for that. But he had a little video camera. It was sitting in the bag, <laughs> you know. He had it running. Mm-hmm. So we had the whole thing. So Fred goes and transcribes it all and writes it out on a part. Wow. And that's what I played for Doc Schuster. Where did you get this pretty much, you know? <laughs> well, from Fred. Yeah. Push, it, push it on him, you know. Anyhow, um, he, was, he was amazing, you know. Uh, and very musical, incredible musician. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in his book, actually, which me and you on both. I don't know if you did. You, you have the Doc Schuster book? I heard? don't. Well, this but it ITG sounds like something. Send, sells it. It's on their, on their pages oh, of their get journal. Oh, I need yeah. to get it. Uh, yeah. And, and it's um, the epilogue. He talks about his you know, Army experience and everything in the, in the U- USSR. And then he s- talks about this visit to California. He, had. he met two trumpet players, Yuan Racy, and he, we had a barbecue and a party over at his <laughs> house. And... Um, and the premier soloist of the Hollywood Studios, and he's me, and he <laughs> put my name in there. He says, who I helped very much with musical uh, interpretation, <laughs> which <laughs> That's he did. Great. Well, I mean, he helped me That's in, uh, since I was listening to him. I'm <laughs> sure. Listen. Laughing and crying, he was just a wonderful player. That mm. He could really d- cover the emotions in his playing, you know. And you still hear that. People talk, and I interviewed Sergei, so he was sitting right yeah. here. Couple days. Oh ago. yeah, sure. And and just talking about that, I asked him what was it about Doc Schutzer that that you drew. It was the emotion, yeah, the lyricism, the phrasing. 
And, uh, and I, I talked to him, I said, you know, talk about the vibrato. I try to share Doc Schetzer's playing with my students, and the first thing they comment on is the vibrato. I said, okay, let's get past that. What do you hear? You know, and it is. It's still a great Expressive sound to emulate. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Emotional music. Yeah. I mean, I could laugh and cry when I listen to those mm -hmm. things with piano, the, the things he first did, you know, the mm -hmm. first things we had access to. But uh, anyway, he, when, he, when he came over, and there, this is one big party, a lot of the Russian uh, musicians that were immigrants in, in, in L.A. Mm -hmm. came over to this party. It was all in the Louis Davidson's son's house, who was a filmmaker, actually. And uh, he was there that night, and he played. He walked around playing. Like Sergei did over at Gary Grant's house, mm -hmm. the same thing. Playing the trumpet, you know, and all over, you know, just playing his heart out, and he'd pick it up once in a while, you know, but it's a big party full of people, were, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it was really neat. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, it was wonderful. And, I, and of course, we were over at Yuan's house together and everything. It's like, you know, he heard this demo that was made in 1978 of the Tchaikovsky. It wasn't my idea. A guy that, uh, actually, I can tell you, it was James Conkling, who was married to Donna King, one of the King sisters. They mm -hmm. were all together in, uh, in um, oh, what band? Uh, I'm hit on names again. I'll think of it. But Alvino Ray's band, they were all in it. The King sisters were with him, and he was also there. Mm -hmm. Now, he was the head of the King family, and but he was an amateur valve trombone player, and he was <laughs> He also, okay, this guy founded the Grammys, founded the Grammys Record Club, the Columbia Record Club, recorded uh, Elmer Bernstein on Columbia with the New York Philharmonic, recorded Kenton at Capitol, recorded mm -hmm. uh, all of Nat King Cole's, produced, I'm talking about, mm -hmm. produced all of Nat King Cole's uh, hits at Capitol. He knew Maynard from, um, from, from the, cap the Kenton at Capitol. Mm -hmm. He called Maynard. I mean, first of all, he had that on mind. Somehow he got the idea that there needs to be a trumpet playing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I laughed about. And so um, he, he said, okay. Um, he, well, he had called Yuan first. Yuan was a good friend. Oh, I'm winding down. He says, I, no, I, I don't think I... But this is not even, not even thinking about the music. Just I'm not going to do it. I, can, I don't think I can do it. But, oh, no, first, at, first it was Maynard. He sent it to Maynard who for some reason didn't want, no interest in playing a violin concerto. I don't know why, but <laughs> he had the range, but you know, yeah, it's, right, it's, right. It's, it's not the same, you know. There are no shakes in that concerto though, are there? There are no octaves. There should uh, be. Yeah. <laughs> I had a few at different times, but not voluntary. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, so he called Yuan. He says, you know, I, I'd like to, I, I want to get this thing. I had this idea to do this concerto. He said, well, I'm sort of winding down. I don't think I can do it. But, you know, I played in this brass quintet with rhythm section last week with this new guy, this kid, Malcolm, you know. So he called me out of the blue. Hello, is this Malcolm? Yeah. Um, would you like to record the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto? I think you're in the wrong place in your directory. What, you got the Musicians <laughs> Union book or something? Because I play trumpet. I know, but there's no recordings of a trumpet doing it. I have to admit you're right on that, but I don't know. How could I ever do that? He says, no. Billy May is already rehired, and Billy May adapted the trumpet part and wrote it out in mm -hmm. trumpet range, and mm -hmm. you know had to change octaves on the and things to, for the range because it's sure. very rangy, you know. And so um, we recorded a demo uh, not long after that with two pianos, Billy conducting. I had done uh, worked at Paramount three three days in a row. It wasn't easy either. Mm -hmm. Went at night after those sessions and recorded the first demo for that. That's mm -hmm. when Yuan took the cassette. Duplicated it, and other people duplicated it until it ended up in another key. You know? yeah, right, right? Yeah, and then yeah. had people, someone called me and said, hey, I got that recording that you, that Tchaikovsky violin concerto that you recorded at Charles Colin's house. I didn't record it in Charles Colin's <laughs> house. What are you talking about? You know what he had done? He, he had the, the tape of it. He put it on his machine, and he, then he had made another recording with that running and said, 
I'd like to introduce this uh, like I was playing it live in his house. Right. And someone heard it. Yes, he did. You, you recorded it there. I said, I did not. I recorded it in the place where the Buddy Holly story was was filmed, actually, because yeah. it was the 1950s. Yeah. Bakelite, you know, val um, knobs on there, and the editing is all like, <laughs> they're not even advanced. They're not even in the 20th century yet here. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, anyway, I, um, <clears throat> I did it, and... Um, that demo and sort of didn't and then he sent it around to john williams and andre previn two people he knew and they were no no the mm -hmm. thing is if you're in an orchestra and it's got a subscription series and everything the old ladies that buy those tickets every year they don't want to put up with anything like that they don't want any if they want a violin concerto, they don't want a trumpet doing it right That's just it it would be horrific right. you know and so that was the attitude so that sank that was 1978 so chuck uh not chuck gary grant double g he comes uh around and it's I think it was 2002 or three or something like that we can record that with a full orchestra mm. well if we started looking around he was negotiating with this one guy that's uh he owns a bunch of Stradivarius and he's a bassoon player lots of Stradivarius violins he's an investor he's rich his family was the savings bank some bank in Glendale you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he was a very rich guy you know, I'm not gonna even say his name but uh, he ended, actually ended up riding around with his bassoon on the on the back of his motorcycle. He didn't really hadn't run a motorcycle, and he got creamed and injured for life oh on no. the motorcycle, and probably ended his playing career. So, uh, anyway, Gary was negotiating with about a budget. You know, big orchestra. You know, we need a couple of days, and Malcolm would do this. But wait a second, I'm not going to play that live. But you know, there's no way. I realized that you couldn't do that. You couldn't stand up. So we did it in sections, of course, we, in my own studio mm -hmm. eventually. But that was going to cost what 150 or 200 thousand dollars, and I didn't know well, how that was going to work. And we were trying to get him to invest in it. Gary mm -hmm. was saying, "Hey, have you ever thought of being a producer?" You know, he really catered to the guy. Right. So um, he had him on board, but realized it's not going to work out. Plus, I start thinking ahead. He would have all the decisions on this thing. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to put. I wouldn't have my two cents in. I, if he if he took, he'd like the bad takes better than I did. Than the other, what I wanted. It would have been that way. So mm -hmm. we had to do it the way we did it. And it was in my own studio. You can build a studio. I have a 400 square foot garage, 400 square foot garage that's from the 1927. <laughs> and it's like that one of those flat roofs. Well, mm -hmm. first of all, I gabled the roof up. So mm -hmm. we had a 16 foot ceiling instead of one of those Spanish flat roofs that right. where the water ruins the roof. You know, it all right. falls on stop and it stays there. So um, then it even had a lube pit. So we, we really finished the studio, but we did the uh, John Pappenbrook. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's mm -hmm. one of the loudest trumpet players. He was out on the road with Natalie for a long time mm -hmm. until you know she passed. Uh, but he's also a building contractor, a general contractor, who mm -hmm. built about, at least at that time, 300 home studios in town. Wow. He just has the chops to do that. He builds things, and, mm -hmm. and he's got that recording, the uh, technical part of it down, too. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, I got him, and he says, well, you know, you'll have to probably... Wait about three years. I got a long waiting list. And I said, I don't know if I'll be able to play in another three years. So, you know, oh. what can you do? So, well, okay, I'll come over and just check it out. You probably can do a lot of it yourself. I said, I don't know about that. Handyman and Gary and me, and we did pretty much the whole thing. No kidding. What he did was two plus two construction, which is, uh, you know, once you put your studs, you got your studs, and, we, you know, the garage is all closed. Insulation, two five-eighths drywall, two half-inch soundboard. Two by two is at the horizontal, at 24 inches all up and down. You've created your dead space. Do two plus two again, so it's totally sound isolating mm -hmm. when you do it that way. 
Uh, it's like, you know, alternating seams when the drywall, mm -hmm. you can't use nails all the way through because it conducts sound. So we did it right. We did it. And it was big work. And even especially the ceilings way up there. Mm -hmm. We did pick up workers to help us mm -hmm. build a scaffold and everything sure. like that and did, to do the ceiling. So it was all finished. And, you know, this guy designed it. I got an ISO booth. So the glass probably was the most expensive thing in there. You know, it was 060 sound glasses, which is over a half inch thick. With the dead space in between two doors, you know, like a dead space, windows, dead space. Is it bulletproof? Um, <laughs> I could find out, actually. I could go right home and try it out. <laughs> but I don't want to do that, no. no I, I doubt it, but it's, it's yeah. sound glass. It's designed yeah. to, to uh, isolate. So, you know, it's sound isolated for sure. And it's a nice studio. now. And at that time, we had Digital Performer, but now I have Pro Tools HDX, which mm -hmm. is a great system. So, mm -hmm. obviously, the only way to record that was in sections. You know, you just can't play it, and people say. Well, and you were using different horns. Yeah, right oh yeah, I had a brass picket fence right. here. I had, I had the piccolo, the B, I even had an A trumpet. Uh, you know, the mm -hmm. uh, Boyd Hood had an A Bach trumpet. Mm -hmm. I just did a little bit of it because when you go, you're in your four sharps. Perfect. Like it's in one flat on the on the A trumpet, you know. But I ended up using it, but I didn't like the sound of it as much as mine, so I toughed through it. Um, and so we recorded that um, in sections. And first of all, we did the whole orchestra. We did 10 violins separately. We did two trumpets, Don Green and John Lewis. We did four horns separately. We did four set, uh, pairs of woodwinds separately. And the only thing that was fake was the timpani that was in the in okay. there. And I had a, uh, my friend Phil Teal. Same personality. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And I added bass trombone to some dun, 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 bum, 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 with the bass line. You know, I mm -hmm. thought I like that, you know. And, he just passed away, and the next scholarship's going to be in his name, actually, nice. out at Cal State Very Northridge, nice. hopefully. But anyway, so we did that, and that took a while to get that to, you know, everything's tracked and stacked, like in a record. Well, Gary's good at that because he's done a lot of record things, you know. Mm -hmm. But no one's ever done that, a digital performer to it, and so a lot of edits were coming apart and stuff like that. And Now we have Pro Tools. It would have been much better and much easier to do. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we just did that, and then once that was all ready we started putting the trumpet part in which meant we had every like every other week there'd be a day that gary and i could both make it because we were still working a bit you know and so it took about a year to put my parts in the violin concert and you're, st you're still hashing out parts at this point or you mean now mean, no 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 oh. i mean during that time i mean oh yeah we're still right figuring here. out how to how we're going to do how we're going to approach it mm -hmm. what horn i'm going to use on it and right. all this stuff and we had to set up a click track first mm. which really caught up with me bit me in the butt um <laughs> not too long after that actually it was in the third movement put up one like that and i'm in a and i'm in b you know but i was chasing it <laughs> and now we've locked me it's like locking yourself out of your house right is what i've done you know and it's so fast yeah. In an hour and a half, I got it. No. Just kept kept chasing it, kept moving, you know. Got it. So it was it was doable, but it took mm -hmm. a long struggle. Mm -hmm. But most of it, um, people criticize it a lot. I hear, you know, you know, you're never, are, are you circular breathing? No, I'm not circular breathing. This is a performance, a recording performance. No, I'm not a performer. Mm -hmm. I'm not a soloist. Mm -hmm. John Williams told me that a long time ago. Okay, so, um, you know, I, I think it, you know, we did it whatever happened. Like I say, whatever horn it would lay on the best, and if we had to do it over and over. Mm -hmm. And we did it. I actually worked up to 14 hours in my studio with Gary some mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. And he's such a, a 
uh, a detail guy, you know. He'll stay up all night, you know, making sure all the edits are good and this is better, right balance I mean, He has no kill switch. Um, and so I got I to gotta get up at 5 because I got a call tomorrow, you know. So we were working at night. He, he always, like, saves it, puts everything away, gets it all organized before he leaves. Mm-hmm. His cars are first thing in the morning when I get up. Uh-oh. I think he's died in my studio. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's in there. He's still working, you know. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, mm-hmm. this is too much. So I went to work, you know, and he kept it up and then locked up. And, you know. Anyway, um, it took a while to put that down. And keep in mind, it wasn't my idea. I was hired to do this thing. And yeah, I, I but, thought it was so wrong in the but first Malcolm, place. But Malcolm, the end product was spectacular. It's I, spectacular. I like it now. I think, you know, it's great, and I'm and, glad people enjoy it. But. And, and those people that criticize, you know, it's like uh, my first question would be, well, can I hear your recording of this? Well, I got PDFs of everything. I said, I'll send it right to you. Give me your address, and yeah, you well, start on it now. Right, and so let's see how, <laughs> let's see how long the criticism lasts at that point. Yeah, know. I mean, it took everything I had, and Gary's guidance and, and his expertise to get this thing, yeah. thing done. I mean, he can produce anyone. I mean, you know, one of the guys, who's the singer that died that he used to produce, uh, come to his house all the time? All, African-American guy. I'm trying to remember his name now. He died about five years ago, maybe maybe ten years mm-hmm. ago. Anyway, I'll think of it later. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's, he had a, a, a studio in his house. He did all his own recordings at mm-hmm. home, too. So mm-hmm. he showed me exactly how to set up everything. Got me deals on Mike Prees. He really could schmooze mm-hmm. these guys at the stores and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And got the best deal. Good Mike Prees, everything, you know. So um, it just evolved, the studio. And mm-hmm. so we did, did that album and got that done. And I, I had a couple pieces um, that I wanted to do. I wanted to do the Bach Double Concerto. Because see, yeah. all these things I've been working on. Yeah. Um, with st- in my lessons with Stamp back in the 60s, early 60s, I'm just a kid, 17, 18, or we always would do the warm-up, and then we'd get our... He got two con C trumpets. I bought one of them mm-hmm. that were new con... Who plays a con C trumpet? I don't know. We, da- we had them, though. But then we'd play the... And we'd play the Bach double concerto until mm-hmm. we couldn't play. That was the end of the lesson. We kept doing that. So th- it's all things that I spent a lot of time on already, you know? And then mm-hmm. the only new piece that was Bruce Brown. We needed one, ple- one piece... Uh, uh, of a living composer, you know, because mm-hmm. there wasn't enough for a whole CD. So, uh, you know, Zappa had written me the Bebop Tango. I already played that on the road. So mm-hmm. we thought, well, we could probably do that. Let's nice listen. variety on there. Yeah. So yeah. We, we did the Zappa that we have Tchaikovsky, Bach, uh, Zappa, and Broughton, the only living composer. So I commissioned this thing mm-hmm. um, called Saloon Music, which, you know, uh, we named it that. But he... Uh, it's very close to what he did in Tombstone, the movie Tombstone, mm-hmm. which was recorded in London, actually. And it's the whole idea of the, about um, a traveling show in the Old West, 1870. Come in, and they, where would they play? The saloon. Mm-hmm. That was the venue. You know, you see the dance stairs, and there's always a stage where they dance. Footlight the and everything. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you hear he wrote this thing like a tone poem, sort of. The f- number one movement is sort of like, you know, you hear the stride piano. It's like people warming up on di- all instruments, cacophony mm-hmm. at the same time. You hear the stride piano going. You get sort of the flavor of it. And it's like, all co- okay, here we go. And then there's this little intro, and then the cornet solo comes out of the back because there's a little band traveling with him, too. And he knows all about how that format, you know, the intro, mm-hmm. mini cadenza, mm-hmm. theme, variations, cadenza, ending, you know, coda. We did that, got that done, and uh, 
That was the first record in uh, 2006. I got some pretty good feedback. Who, who bought it? Mostly Germans, for some reason. <laughs> Everyone in Germany seemed to want it. You're, you're the uh, David Hasselhoff of trumpet, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I guess so, but they seem to be yeah. the, the consumers over there of all yeah. kinds of music. Real music, that yeah. is, you know, I mean, classical music or Baroque music. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was that. And then we sort of, by 2010, we got, I got going on this other one with just piano. Mm -hmm. uh, called the Infinite Trumpet, which was a lot of violin music, and um, I'm trying to get an accompanist to play piano with me, and I'm thinking, what do I do? Um, people kept talking about this Ica Agus, who was Heifetz's assistant, you know, and she played mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. And so what happened, really, she was um, at SC in the early 70s, Heifetz was there doing master classes. He had a lot of violinists around that were doing these classes. Well, the class pianist flaked out. So someone told on her that she's a pianist also, besides a violinist, and mm. she has all the concerti up here. Wow. And so she became the class, reluctantly became Hypsis's class pianist. And she ended up the 15-year uh, relationship with him until he died. Mm -hmm. She was the one that brought him to the funeral. I mean, mm. was there when he was cremated. Right. Um, and um, he was a ver not, a kind, not a very easy guy to get along mm -hmm. with, not socially inept a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you know, she told me everything about the pieces, and like a, a, maybe a smaller piece that would be a sorbet, or you got a technical piece. If he did recitals, there'd be a little Debussy, Beaussoir, mm -hmm. or something like that, would be gentle, a little slow mm -hmm. piece. So she hit me to some of the repertoire, and then we recorded it together. Well, the first time she came over, Gary and I did this little audition for her, which well, is an incredible musician. She lectured in Juilliard, St. Petersburg, Russia, mm -hmm. you know. So we're auditioning her, and what I have is a, is a knockoff of a curse while it's a, you know, a full key, or mm -hmm. 88 key. Uh, and the foot pedal was sliding around the floor, and this is my studio. And she, first one, she came in, she says, well, where's the Bosendorfer? I pointed at my computer, in there. It was a sample from the ivory mm -hmm. piano thing. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're hearing. You're hearing a fake piano no in that one, in the infant trumpet. But not a fake musician. No, no, it was not real. But we, you know, we did it. Uh, I had a guide track, you know, when I find my tempos, I'm in mm -hmm. the ISO booth and, and playing with a mute, so, you know, uh, and so she's sort of giving me suggestions and stuff, but, um, we got the accompaniment down, and Gary, amazing guy he is, and he uh, uh, absolutely voiced the MIDI of, of it and before we output it. I mean, he, he knows how to balance all that stuff. And then we, uh, we had the Ivory Grand Pianos, which you can s just switch, plug in, plug mm -hmm. in any piano, mm -hmm. Yamaha C3, the uh, Bosendorfer, the Fazioli Grand, which is the biggest piano on the earth, which is that, that Italian engineer slash pianist that invented the piano in the early 80s, 10 foot two long. <laughs> extra octave at the bottom. I said, well, wow. if this doesn't support a trumpet, then I don't know what would mm -hmm, <laughs> in mm -hmm. the piano category. So we used that sample. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seemed to work out okay, but, you know, um, like we had all the accompanies for her and we got them adjusted, and I started carving them into the trumpet into it. And we just, we did a Vinyovsky. A little bit of Vinyovsky has been done, but not many trumpet players have tried it. Which one? Well, uh, the Polonaise were really on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. The Opus 4, Opus 21. It's a gorgeous piece. It's trumpetistic. Yeah. I, I listened to Vengerov on the radio, who's yeah. a very strong player, and I thought, that's, that's going to work on trumpet, but not in five sharps. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to have to do it in five. I did it. All, my, all the stuff I recorded on there, yeah, no, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> but, but it was five, six, and seven sharps, most of it. Oh, Even my gosh. Hefty. Yeah. Tough. <sighs> But I had a brass picket fence here, and, it, and I'd find out each section. I, I'd make sure that it, uh, uh, it let, whichever it laid on, and I could do it the most times because yeah. we did a lot of takes. You know, mm. it's nice to have your own studio. I mean, you, yeah, that's about the only way to go. You know.
Yeah. So anyway, that's that's that, and that came out in 2010, and uh, you know that when maybe that didn't do as good. I mean, it's not a sonorous thing, just the piano, which is mm -hmm. not even a real piano, and uh, the whole thing we we actually end up to. Gary's genius was to take the whole track dry and to Fox, and I put my trump after I put my trumpet part on it, take the whole thing to Fox stage, blow it out into the room, on the on the speakers. Mm -hmm. Record it with a decatree back into the computer, and leave with that track. It was it was amazing. Yeah, and that's what you did. Yeah, that's what we did. All right. And Armand uh, Steiner, the engineer, there was a genius. He was a classical violinist himself. He's recorded, you know, probably 60 years he'd been working. You know, he's the old master. Gary, we've tried these things before. I don't think it's going to work. You know, we've we've, we've tried. It before. He actually mm -hmm. recorded Heifetz on the double concerto in 1946 at RCA <laughs> before any digital stuff. Sure. You know, they, they, that was a trick. You know. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, um, Gary says, "I think it's going to work." Armin says, "No, Gary, we've tried this so many times. I think it's going to work." He's a Florida guy. Mm -hmm. He sort of said, "I think it's going to work." You know. So <laughs> anyhow, we did it, and it worked. Uh, what it did was it recorded the floor. It recorded the floor's response to the music, and that's a great stage. The so you stage really get the depth. Music. And that was the that was the ticket. So actually, we didn't need much of it. See, we, it was in our computer. Then mm -hmm. we do the final mix, and after we have it everything ready, you just bring this fader up just in just a bit. You feel the floor now, you know, mm -hmm. because the music went off the floor and recorded the floor's response to the mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Thank goodness for good producers, good sound engineers, it sounds, right? It, it actually almost sounds like a, a um, concert hall, mm -hmm. but it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a little garage. It's a 400 square mm -hmm. garage. And Gary was a genius to do that, to, to make what we did in there into yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, so that's how that all happened. That's all that happened. And so I haven't done anything since then. Gary Lynetta, his wife, passed away, what, two years ago? Mm -hmm. uh, he's been quite different. He's isolated mm -hmm. in another house away, away from... Mm -hmm. things. I've asked him, well the thing is right after that he started to go work for Arturo and Wayne both. He did mm -hmm. maybe two or three albums for each of them. I couldn't get him again. You know, he was uh, off uh, in, into star, right. stardom, you know. Right. <laughs> so I just, uh, I wanted to get back to it. We've talked to him many times about it. I, I love him. He's my best friend. Yeah. I couldn't have done it without him, what he did for yeah. me. Uh, so uh, I'm still thinking about maybe I could get back to it if I could, if he could help me mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. If he would. But I think he might be if I just I have Bob Fernandez, who's Clint's, Clint Eastwood's, um, he lives on the next street. Bobby mm -hmm. Fernandez was at Warner's for 30 years as a mm -hmm. staff scoring mixer, you know. Mm -hmm. Great guy. And mm -hmm. so he can come over and record me. I think, you know, I'll, I'll probably do that and, and record and sing. He's not really a musician that much, but so then play, play the tracks for Gary and let him criticize. Let yeah. him, you know, let him uh, help yeah. me with choose, you know. Yeah. I think that's what we'd probably do in the future. I got a lot of ideas, on, and I've actually transcribed or adapted more of that violin music. Uh, I only recorded about one third of it, mm -hmm. so I got all this, all more Vutom and uh, Vutom and, and Vidniowski. So, yeah, it's like I told Sergey. Um, I felt like he gave people permission to go away from the trumpet repertoire. Good music is good music, right? And yeah. if you want to play it on sure. trumpet or trumpet, yeah. uh, clarinet, play it on clarinet. You want to play it on whatever. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, you do it well. I mean, it still has to be done well. Yes. Uh, you know, and and so here you're already talking about more projects, and I, I love that you're thinking in strings. Well, I got a lot of ideas. Well, you here's know. one thing that Ica, you know, she was a, a Heifetz assistant. They published, and her name's on it. Heifetz published uh, the collection of Heifetz. 
American in Paris for violin and piano. What? <laughs> violin and piano. Da, da, da. You know, and it's a trumpet piece. Yes, That's it is. That's what I'm working on now. <laughs> but I can only do it with her permission, really, because she's she's one of the. Let's the see last him put ones. a let's see him put a plunger mute or a harmon mute on the <laughs> on a violin. See how that works. <laughs> well, you know, if you do, and then we could go in and do Porgy and Bess stuff too. I got all this Gershwin stuff, all the the. Things Heifetz did for the violin, you know, but he he sort of micromanaged jazz in there and wrote the stuff out. You know, yeah. he would do, they're really figures you can hear, but it yeah. was stiff, you know, the so, way he played it. You know, when, when it comes to double and triple stops, like in string music, uh, it's one thing to to do the the quick arpeggio and to try to cover it. Yeah. But if you're going to do it in in the studio, can you do a and can you layer it in? Yeah. Have you, did you do that? Oh yeah, yeah okay. I have a little and, and I apologize. parts here yeah. and there, and, and, and some of the things. But one thing, like Sergey had recorded, also the introduction of Allegro by uh, Saint Saëns. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did too. I mean, Gary did, but mine is a little bit rangy. I mean, I go all the way up to D, to the high Bs, and mm -hmm. you know, and um, let's see, what is it? Yeah. Spent some time on that turkey event, but uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's nice. It's one of those nice things, and mm -hmm. that goes on quite a bit. But the ending is just ridiculous. Actually, it's it's unreal, and because it's all like we, the way we put it, it's almost like a machine gun. The way I was playing, because you you take this, we do a figure, but a little, and he would he would clone that all the way through, and yep. it almost because well, I there's no breath. People say there's no breath, but I'm serving the music. If Tchaikovsky had written this for trumpet, who had to breathe, there would have been a phrasing mark. It would in have there. been, yeah. you know, exactly. And so, it's the music. We're serving the music, and we're very happy and blessed to do it. So, mm -hmm. go ahead, take your best shot. I've had a lot of criticism. I would do this. I would do that. Go ahead. Matter of yeah. fact, I have all the PD. I had the PDFs all up for sale for download on the mm -hmm. thing. And uh, I think I, the first time I sent the 80 pages of the Tchaikovsky part to someone who ordered it. This kid calls and he says, do you have this in an easier key? I said, well, it's only got four sharps. I mean, you, if you can't play four sharps, you shouldn't be, maybe you could wait a little while before you learn that stuff, you know. Right. It's crazy. But no, there's no, it's the key because the orchestra's in that key and that's mm -hmm. what you have. You think I'm going to mm -hmm. change all the parts in the whole orchestra? There's no way. <laughs> Plus, I could probably sell this company into some violinist sure. maybe someday, you know. Sure. Well, the truth is, you know, it'd be 20, 25 years of playing this concerto before a violinist would think of standing up and play it. Mm -hmm. Tchaikovsky wrote this in 1878, and it was going to be Misha Hauer, who was the, the hot guy at the time. I think he, and he refused to do it. It was too difficult, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so he, some student that I think he might have been having an affair with, Tchaikovsky, <laughs> uh, did it, did the mm -hmm. first performance, but very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Like Sergei uh, wrote, on my poster I have Randy, Randy Brecker, uh, Bobby Shue, uh, Sergey was one of them. I got four guys on there, but Sergey says pretty much uh, McNabb records the diff most difficult mm -hmm. Tchaikovsky. But this is after uh, Gary had already asked his father mm -hmm. if he would do my arrangement for me. Mm -hmm. See, Sergey's father does his charts for him, right? And uh, but you know he didn't want to do it. He, mm -hmm. but Gary's in touch with them, so you know he mm -hmm. he asked if he would do that. No, no. But anyway, it's it's not the kind of piece he would play. Yeah. You know, anyways, but I yeah. kept thinking we actually asked him first. You have any plans to do the Tchaikovsky violin oh. concerto uh, before we start this ordeal? Mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, I just wonder because mm -hmm. I'm not going to try to do it if he's going to do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that that's the way it was, and uh, you know, all yeah. of a sudden, 
I guess I was somebody in somebody's in some ears. I, I guess people were buying it and mm -hmm. and heard it, and it was actually on the well, it was on the uh, local radio, and I actually went in for a five-hour interview on the radio live mm -hmm. with playing not only the the concerto several times during that broadcast, or uh, but also a lot of my movie soundtracks. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was sort of nice. It got it came in with a little bit of blurb, so you know it got hot right away, you know. But sure. then it sort of and then there were some things that came in that were pretty ugly, you know, that said, you know, this is ridiculous, man. I would, if I was in a concert all year doing this, I would throw tomatoes, you know. It's just it's not right for to have a trumpet doing this. Well, <laughs> I'm, they paid me, okay? I recognize that. Yeah. I'm a horror. Well, you know what you say? You don't have to listen to it, right? Exactly. Take your... Turn you your ever, channel. you ever play Frisbee with your dog? Get that disc and throw it right out there and let him have it, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. I can't thank you enough for the time and uh, stories you shared. This and, is and, it? Well, no. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be. Not well, at all. Know. Not did, at all. Did you have any questions? Any more questions of some kind? That's Are you kidding? Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues, and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.